Yeah, lovely to see you, Marie. Um, and it's good to see everyone. I, uh, I struggled a bit to know what to say this morning. Not because I didn't seek the Lord, because it seemed to take a long time to really gel. But I'm going to speak, I, I, really, what, partly what I want, I've been thinking about this week is, is, is following on from where Tim was speaking at the conference. And he spoke about the need for revival in our day. And for some of us, revival is a dirty word because we're so disappointed that God doesn't seem to have moved as powerfully as we would have liked in, uh, in, in the last few years. But I believe that there is a real need for what we would call a spiritual revival in our country. I don't see the country's got any other hope, really, other than that God moves afresh and brings people to himself and, and uh, people get their lives right with God again. Uh, I really believe that and we should be thinking that that is absolutely necessary. And I want to follow on from that thought and turn you to, uh, to the book of 1 Kings and just want to look briefly at the story of Elijah and what he did... What <coughs> get my glasses you know there's this great conf- the, the land has known drought for three years or three and a half years uh, and I suppose you could say that's like we're knowing a spiritual drought I believe in this country at this time uh, and uh, we're getting by but maybe but uh, people seem to be getting further and further away from God there's a spiritual drought in our country and that's what the situation was with Elijah uh, it didn't rain for three and a half years and then he was told to go and present himself to the king who hated him and, and God promised I will send rain on the earth at the beginning of chapter 18 and so we have this big confrontation happens uh, on Mount Carmel we pick it up in verse 20 of chapter 18 It says, so Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. Elijah came to all the people and said, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him, not a word. I wonder, and I think it applies to me, whether we we falter between two opinions Part of us knows that God is God and really can do great and wonderful things like we've been hearing about. But then part of us sees what's going on in the world and sees the apparent godlessness of the world and the way God doesn't seem to be doing much in lots of ways, although I'm sure he is in ways we don't know and restraining things. But we look at the two and we we say, well, who are we going to follow? Are we going to follow God and Jesus and his word or are we going to follow the world? And I think at times we're caught between the two because we don't, it's not as though we're really full on uh, uh, for God. I mean, when I was, you know, 40 years ago, when I was a young man in the church, we went to four meetings a week. Three, three, meeting, three, three preaching meetings and one prayer meeting. And people struggle, it seems, to make more than about one meeting a week. 
And I sometimes wonder, and I can say that sort of thing here, <laughs> but um, I just wonder whether there's that zeal that sort of, if you like, the flame has died a bit in us. And, uh, and between our hearts, and oh, well, you know, we've got to do this and that, and we've got to be busy about this and that. And you think, well, are we in fact like the people here, not answering a word? Are we following? Are we faltering between two opinions? Ask us that this morning. <clears throat> and so we find that there's a, that a test comes on, and we love a good contest. That's why we love sport, some of us do anyway. We love a good contest. And there's a contest set up between, Elijah sets this contest up between the prophets of Baal and himself and God. And he, he, says, we're first, he says, verse 25, Choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first, for you are many, and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. And the contest was they were both going to prepare a sacrifice of a bull and then they were both going to pray. And who would be God would be the one who, who whereby the sacrifice was ignited without fire from man. God came, the fire came down from heaven. And so he sets his contest up. And uh, we find that the prophets of Baal went first. I don't want to have a toss of a coin or something, but they went first. So they took the bull which was given them and they prepared it. And called on the name of Baal from morning till noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, no one answered. Then they leaped upon the altar which they had made, and it was so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is meditating, or he is busy, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. And I think the Living Bible says, Perhaps he's on the toilet. And. Uh, you know, you see that these prophets are bowed, they're jumping up and down, and then we get on to the... So they cried aloud even more and cut themselves. They self-harmed, as was their custom, with knives and lances until the blood gushed out of them. And when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering and the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. <sighs> I wonder if we've been like that over the need for revival. I wonder if we have jumped up and down and said, God, you've got to do this. God, you've got to do that. And we've almost leaped and almost self-harmed ourselves in our attitude. Why aren't you doing this, God? Why aren't you doing that? Like the prophets of Baal. But we find that Elijah, when it comes to his turn, he says this, he doesn't just put the wood in order and the sacrifice. He says, fill four water pots of water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Do it a second time. Do it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar. And he also filled the trench of water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, I, he just prays this simple prayer, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. You see, he's not a man jumping up and down and saying, God, you've got to do this. God, you've got to do that. He's a man that's just saying, Lord, this is all at your word. 
Have we become a people that have moved away from God's word? The simplicity of just doing what he's telling you to do. Have we become, are we zealous to do God's word? Or are we zealous to somehow see God do this, that or the other? I want to ask you that. Are you someone who set your heart, I'm just going to do what God says. I'm just going to simply do that. And it says that as he prayed that, and he then went on to say, Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that the people may know that you are the Lord God, and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. This is all your work, God. This is not us jumping up and down and cutting ourselves and saying, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. This is God coming. This is what God wanted. And we read that as he prayed that, then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. This is a spiritual revival. There they were, they didn't answer when he said, who are you going to follow? But now, when God's come, there's that sense that God is here. God is in our midst. God is at work. There's revival come. And the question is, how did that revival come? It came because a man said, I will do what God says. I will just do what the word of God says. And I, Lord, you do the rest. Is that our position this morning? I wonder if we get into this self-made religion. Christianity is not a self-made religion. It's not you doing this, that or the other. It is God coming to your heart. Is God come to your heart this morning? Has God come? Is your faith based on a supernatural experience of God? Or is it based upon your, your effort? Think, well, I'm very zealous. I do this, I do that, I say my prayers. It may all be good. But in the end, your faith has got to rest on what God does. And if it's got, that's where it starts. That's where revival will start when the church says, I'm just going to do what God says. I'm just going to live for what God puts on my heart and I'm just going to do that. I believe then we start to see revival. Because it'll be your, the flame will come into your heart. You're the, heart of your, all, the altar of your heart will be set on fire for God. And you will set other people on fire. But all the time we halt between two opinions. We say, I'm not quite sure whether to follow the world or whether to follow God. We don't set our hearts say, Lord, it's you. I don't care what happens to me. It's what you do. That's when we start to see revival, I believe. And we see these things in the Apostle Paul. And I want to turn you to Philippians and chapter 3. I've just bought a new Bible, although it's the same Bible. It's just a new newer version. And I couldn't find anywhere. And I went to the Christian bookshop and they had one. I thought, that's great. And I bought it. It's got a nice leather cover. Anyway, <laughs> I paid a reasonable amount of money for it. And now I find there's writing in it. It's obviously a second-hand Bible <laughs> for some reason. But anyway, it doesn't matter. It all says the same thing, doesn't it? And I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 3. And Paul is talking about his own experience. If ever there's a man on fire for God, 
it was the Apostle Paul. It says in verse 3, chapter 3, For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Paul could say, though I might also have some confidence in the flesh. If anyone thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. So we mustn't base our Christian life on our experience, on what, what's happened in the past, on, on what our pet, Christian pedigree is. Because he goes on to say, I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. I was a real Jew through and through, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Concerning the law, a Pharisee, you know the Pharisee were the SAS of the, of the religious establishment of their day. They were the elite. And Paul says, I was a Pharisee. I knew my Bible backwards. I knew, I knew everything there was to know. I, 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 I kept all those, all those laws and all those things you're meant to do as a, as a good Jew. I did all those perfectly, he says. Concerning zeal, might say, well, let's get excited persecuting the church. I was so committed to do what God wanted that I was prepared to persecute the church. Concerning righteousness, which is the law, blameless. You know, my, you couldn't fault my behaviour, he said. I was perfect in my behaviour. He said, but these things, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. He says, I leave all that behind. And I'm just going to go for one thing, Christ. But what things were gained to me? These I have counted lost. Yes, indeed, I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Can you say that this morning? I count everything in my life secondary to my relationship with God. Can you say that this morning? This is revival. This is where revival comes, is when someone says, I will put my relationship with Jesus Christ above everything else. Everything else can go. Everything else can be secondary. Knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus, Christ my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things. He'd suffered the loss of his reputation he was written off by the Pharisees. He was written off probably by his family. He was written off by everybody. And yet he says, I know Jesus. This is the only thing that really matters. I know Jesus. And he goes on to say, I have, and count them as rubbish. And the AV says dung. If you want a more vernacular term. That I may gain Christ. He says everything else, all my upbringing, all my credentials as a good Jew are rubbish, are dung, compared with knowing Jesus. Having that relationship with Jesus, just saying, I'm just going to do what he says. I'm just going to walk with Jesus. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Do you see that? He's had a supernatural experience of God. That's what he bases his whole life upon, this supernatural experience. It isn't the fact that he's, he's following a textbook of what it is to be a good Christian. He's really saying, 
I know Jesus and God, he has come to me and I know him in my heart and I live by him. He, he guides me, he leads me, he shows me what to do. He takes me through, he's there with me in all the ups and downs of life. It's Jesus, it's Jesus, this is what he's saying. It's not based on me, I'm not trying hard, I'm not cutting myself saying, Lord, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. He's saying, Jesus, it's Jesus. Are we there this morning? Have we got that life in us that says, actually, it's all about Jesus in my heart and what he's speaking to me? I'm just going to do what he says to me. Is that what we're saying? Or are we setting God some, some goals that we want him to achieve for us or something like that? I tell you, we've got to lose those. We've got to lose those. We've got to say, actually, it's about you, Jesus. Knowing you, Jesus. And it says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Amen. This is what we want, isn't it? The power of his resurrection. I do. We want to see people come alive in Jesus. We want to see people saved. We want to see people's lives transformed. That's what we want. That's what I want. The power of the resurrection. Is there a greater power than resurrection power? I don't think so. To raise a man from the dead. Is there any greater power? It's, it's greater than, than anything the world can do, greater than the atom bomb. To raise a man from to life again. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Resurrection life. And I want to know it. And I suppose we all want to know it. But then he goes on to say this. And the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. You see, we recognise that to know Jesus means that you walk as, Je as Jesus walked. You, you walk with him through all the ups and downs of life. And you might think that's a wonderful thing, but I tell you this, if you walk with Jesus, he'll take you the way of suffering. You cannot get out of it. If you want Jesus in to move in your life, and to be alive in you, he will take you the way of suffering at times. Uh, we're going to see a lady this afternoon up in London uh, who has got cancer, blood cancer. That lady has been so faithful to the church in Worthing. She has, uh, I think she's one of those uh, blessed women that have stood in the gap when perhaps others have faltered. And she's, she's 72 and she's got blood cancer. She's been in hospital up in London for over a month. Uh, <clears throat> she's been on a second round of chemo up there. Why should, she, if it's, why should she go through it? She's been so faithful to God. Why should she go through it? She's going through it because Jesus is there with her. Jesus is with her. It's part of her journey. It's, her, it's what she's got to go through. You see, we, are we prepared to suffer? Because it's not the suffering that's important, it's the fact that we're going through it with Jesus. And we're discovering his, the fellowship of his sufferings. Did Jesus not suffer for you and me? He suffered. He was beaten. He was rejected. He was abused. He was betrayed. He had it all thrown at him. He was crucified. He suffered. He suffered the fact that men turned their back on him. He suffered 
that people didn't get what he was saying. He suffered, just think, coming down from heaven and living on earth. Isn't that going to be suffering in itself? So if we're going to have, if we're going to say, amen, I want to know Jesus, I want to know the power of his resurrection, we've got to recognise that the way is going to be laced with suffering. Something happened to me this week that hurt me. And I got all upset about it, as we do. And then I realised, well, what is this? This is just the suffering of Christ. Just what you have to go through to walk with Christ. And yet we, we, we try and, you see, we must get away. I think we, if we follow in the way of the world, we recognise the way of the world is triumph. Everything's got to be successful. Everything's got to be happy. That's the way of the world. That's what the world's aiming at all the time. Success and happiness. I don't think we should be aiming for success and happiness. And that might be an awful thing to say and, and you might not ask me back if I say that. Aren't we always meant to triumph? We're meant to triumph in Christ. Because you realise that resurrection power comes out of the cross. It becomes because you go the way of the cross, as Tim was talking about last Saturday. If you go the way of the cross, this is where you'll know resurrection power. If you don't go the way of the cross, you might have an initial triumph, but you won't know a triumphant life. And we mustn't get conned into thinking everything's got to be up there, jumping up and down, happy successful, we've got to see that walking with Christ will take us into dark places. Doesn't even the 23rd Psalm said, though he lead me through the valley of the shadow of death, yet will I feel no evil. He will lead you through the valley, valley of the shadow of death. And it's all part of this, I'm just going to be with Jesus in it. I'm just going to be with Jesus in it. Is that what you want? You want to be with Jesus, amen, hallelujah. It's going to take you the way of suffering. It's unavoidable. Sorry to be a, a wet blanket. But it's the fellowship of his sufferings. You know, even on a natural level, you'll recognise that the people you really are close to are people often you've gone through difficult times with. Where they've been, you know, I've said this before, uh, <coughs> Almost the only redeemable feature of warfare is the fact of it bonds people together in ways that other, almost nothing else does, humanly speaking. You know, soldiers that fight together really form a very close bond of brotherhood. And we've got to see that that's what Christ is looking for in us. He's looking to bond with us through suffering through difficulty and it isn't the way of the world and this is what I'm saying why do you halt between two opinions if God is God follow him and to follow him means that you will go through tough times of suffering so don't be surprised if life doesn't always come up a bed of roses for you because it's God taking you into places where you can walk with him deeper place with himself. Paul knew this. Paul could see it. This is a man that lived in the power of the resurrection. Everywhere he went, 
things happened. And yet he was a man who suffered incredibly for the gospel's sake. And if you read 2 Corinthians chapter 12, is it? You'll read the sufferings of Paul for the gospel. Or is it 11? I can't remember. 11 or 12. And you'll read about it. Shipwrecked. Beaten with rods. Hounded out of places. All these sort of things. You say, why did it happen? That's Paul. He's the top man. This is what his life was like but he knew a power at work with him that none of us have got, I would say, because he was prepared to walk through those sufferings, being conformed to the death of Christ. Are we prepared to walk that way? I I read this week in Revelation chapter 5, it says this, Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, verse 2, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, You see, he's a lion of the tribe of Judah, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood what? A king triumphant with his sword brandishing, cutting off the heads of everyone that was coming anywhere near him. No. A lamb, as though it had been slain. having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Do you see that? In heaven, we worship a lamb that's been slain. Now, if I said to you, in this world, what is the most pathetic sight you could think of One of it could be a lamb that's been slain. A lamb is completely harmless. You wouldn't, you know, you go up to a lamb, it'd run away like Alyssa does to me. (laughs) She's like a little lamb, isn't she? (laughs) And uh, uh, a little lamb goes, and not only a, a little lamb, but a slain lamb. That's the picture of Jesus in heaven. And all the elders fell down and worshipped him. A lamb that's been slain. Very different to the world's picture of a big king, a mighty army. Not that I watch it, but Game of Thrones, it Game of Thrones. Where they have these armies, great armies. Maybe with great armour and swords. They rule. We, have, we worship a lamb that's been slain. This is the one we have fellowship with. Now it seems to me anyone can have fellowship with a lamb. Maybe a king you're a bit frightened of, you stand up back and you say, oh, I don't want it, you know. Am I worthy? A lamb that's been slain. Anyone can have come. 
whatever you are, whatever state you are, and come and worship him. Do we see that? That our job is to have fellowship with this lamb that's been slain. Just come as we are. Come messed up. Come with all our issues and just walk with him. Walk with him and listen to what he's got to say. Don't listen to what our wives say. Don't listen to what our children say. Don't listen to what our mum and dad say. I'm just going to follow him. I'm just going to seek him. I'm just going to walk with him. Even if it gets me a lot of trouble, I'm going to walk with him. This is the way I believe that the Apostle Paul walked. How am I doing for time? Some people will say, I want to see Jesus. I'll follow him if I see him. Even if he's a lamb that's been slain. Well, there were some Greeks that wanted to see Jesus. And they said in John chapter 12, there were Greeks, and Greeks are like the people of our society. They were clever people, intellectual people. And they wanted to see him. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls in the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. He who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. Do we see that if you want to see Jesus, this is the way to do it. Fall into the ground with him. Come to the cross. Come to the place where you're nothing. Come to the place where you just long just to have fellowship with him and you will know him and see him. It's not in arranging a, a great meeting. Jesus said, no. If these Greeks want to see me, let them be identified with me in my death. Let them come and sit, sit with me where I'm going. Let them fall into the ground with me. And they will know my life, eternal life. That's what the promise is, isn't it? We'll keep it for eternal life. Eternal life, it says in John, is to know Jesus. That's life, that's eternal life. How do you know you've got eternal life? Because I know Jesus. Not because I'm believing a Bible text, but because I know Jesus. And I walk with him in all the ups and downs and through it all. He's at work in my life. Do you know that this morning? Are you saying to God, I want to know you? Are you saying, I want you to work in my life? I tell you, just walk with him simply day by day. That's all you've got to do. And I'll close with a final scripture <coughs> in 2 Timothy. It says this. Remember that Jesus Christ, 2 Timothy 2 verse 8, remember that Jesus Christ, the seed of David, 
was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer. You see, he, he believed the gospel, Jesus raised from the dead, and yet he suffers trouble as an evildoer, although he's not an evildoer at all. Even to the point of chains, he was at this time in prison. But the word of the law of God is not chained. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect. And I believe that if we're prepared to walk and see that our goal is to know Jesus and we go through things and we're prepared to suffer with him, then we'll have a sympathy for other people that we wouldn't have otherwise. I mean, it's all about us and me and what's right for me. We won't have sympathy with other people. He saw, he endured all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is a faithful saying, for if we have died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. <clears throat> we see there, we're to die with him. We're to endure with him. We're to walk with him through the things that he takes us through. And as we do that, then we can know him and his life. Where are you this morning in these things? Have you got other goals other than just to know Jesus? Is there other things? Maybe they're religious things. Maybe they're, they're aspirations. I want, I want this or that to happen. Maybe they're good aspirations. But the truth is, uh, is your goal though to know Jesus in it or to walk with Jesus? To know If we're prepared to know him, then we will know the power of his resurrection in our lives. The power of God working through us and in us. It's quite simple. This morning I'm not asking you to, uh, uh, to come up with a new set of plans for what you're going to do with your life or anything like that. I'm just saying, just submit to God. Just say, Lord, come in to my life. Lead me, guide me. Let your word be the light unto my feet. Let me walk with you day by day. Let, let, you, let your life be my goal and not all those other things out in the world. We need revival in our land. We need revival. And uh, I believe this is the way we'll see it. When there are men and women who are prepared to say, I will walk with Jesus through thick or thin, up or down, whatever he leads me, I'll walk with him. My goal is going to be to walk with Jesus in it. If that means death, it means death. If it means suffering, it means suffering. If it means excitement, it means excitement. Whatever he leads me, I will go through. Is that where we're at this morning? Uh, <coughs> I'd like to finish by singing. Knowing you, Jesus. You got it. <laughs>